I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks for joining me here on our debut post-game pod of the 2023 season. This is a preseason edition, so it's not going to be the same as the regular season. Uh, Certainly, we're going to hold off on the award portion. I know, always popular. We're going to hold off on the awards portion until we get into the regular season because it's really hard to give out those awards when the playing time is so sporadic. But I do love the preseason. I am a sicko. And especially the first preseason game to me is such an in-depth look as to what things could be or where things could be trending. And there's a bunch of different ways to diagnose, I guess, how you want to call it, how the or what you see in that first preseason game, whether it's performance. Um, And we're going to be doing a bit of that here on this episode. But for me, where I kind of land, especially with the first preseason game, and, and certainly it plays into the second one, the third one less so because that's usually a, okay, don't get hurt sort of, sort of uh, situation. The first game to me is always, you, you always learn quite a bit from it because it's our first glimpse into how the Bills and their coaching staff and by proxy their front office view what has happened throughout the last two and a half, three weeks at training camp. They had 12 practices in total, and we saw some fluctuation based on based on who was lining up on the first team with who uh, throughout those camp practices. But it's really it's not tough. It's you're missing that last final piece of action where the team is giving these specific players snaps with other designated starters or non-starters just to kind of gauge where they are and maybe how that translates from what you thought of this player heading into the preseason to where maybe their standing is to this point. Like, it's it's super important um, to kind of sift through and figure out how to diagnose these certain situations with context how they give you clues into maybe their plans for the regular season, uh, team feelings on specific players, obviously. And not all of the, the positions fit into the same bucket because I think some are a little bit more nuanced than others based on, you know, if it's like a competition. And and we'll get into some of the, the weeds with that as we go on here. But uh, 
I think we learned a lot based on utilization. And and you all know me. I go through during the game. I take snap counts as we're going because I want to know who's on the field, with who, when, what formations, that sort of thing. And to try and figure out this puzzle that is the Bills roster and not only how the 53-man roster is going to look, but maybe who's going to be significant contributors when we actually get to the regular season. So that's why, to me, snaps, utilization, how and who they line up with, I think it's all super interesting and super important. So I want to go through a bunch of that uh, on today's episode to to really kind of prep us for what could be the counterpunch or what could be to come in in week two of the preseason and then and may, maybe even uh, into the regular season. So what did the Colts game show us? And I'm not going to start off on a at a place where you would probably think I would. I mean, I'm. I know most people are probably going to talk about the backup quarterback situation, which I'll get to later on. You know, maybe it's talking about some uh, some later game players that may be impressed. But this Bills roster almost feels relatively set. You know, the 53-man roster, there's not going to be a lot of surprises this year, I don't think. And... I think trying to figure out who's going to get time is worth our time more than anything. And the thing that stood out to me above all else was about the rookie tight end Dalton Kincaid. Now, I know you're going to be like, dude, he didn't get targeted. He didn't make a catch. I even had some people send me a message on X or Twitter or whatever the heck you want to call it right now. That hey, did Dalton Kincaid play? Like I was at the stadium and and I didn't I don't remember seeing him. To answer that question, yes, he did play. And even more important than him playing is he started the game and the type of formation that they that they started the game in. The Bills opened up in 12 personnel. And for those that have kind of listened to the summation of why they went to Kincaid over the last few months and why they why they targeted him as much as they did in the 2023 NFL draft. The Bills just did not run 12 personnel at all. They wanted to last year, but they didn't. They ran it at the lowest rate of the NFL. I think it was around like 3%. The next closest team was around... I think just it never came to fruition the way that they wanted it to because that's why they went out and they signed OJ Howard. They thought they were going to get an athletic piece to pair with Dawson Knox to where they could utilize 12 personnel, having two tight ends on the field, giving them more multiple looks than, than they had in the previous year. But by the end of camp, they figured out Howard really couldn't play anymore that they were probably going to move on if they couldn't figure out a a trade target for him or a, a, a team to trade to him. And they wound up cutting him and they went into the season with Dawson Knox, Tommy Sweeney and Quentin Morris. So it was basically, they were locked into 11 personnel from right then and there because they just didn't have 
that second piece. But now with Kincaid, they have that flexibility. And everything we have seen throughout training camp, and I know most of you probably listened to the last episode, how I I talked about why Kincaid is kind of checking every box here. He continued to do it throughout, throughout the rest of camp to where I think the Bills are getting closer and closer to feeling extremely comfortable with giving this rookie player in which they don't really give rookie players these type of roles a significant role in 2023. And I think what we saw in the preseason game kind of backed that up. Dalton Kincaid starts the game in 12 personnel. Uh, James Cook is on the field. Dawson Knox is on the field. Dalton Kincaid is on the field. Gabe Davis is on the field. So is Trent Sherfield. And now the only one usual suspect that's missing from from that uh, group is Stefan Diggs, but he was given the night off, as was Josh Allen. But what's important here is their initial look was in 12 personnel. And not only did they show this, but in the next series, when they went away from 12 personnel, they got Dalton Kincaid on the field for a couple of snaps. After the first two series, his night, over, done. Five snaps total. One of them was on an offsetting penalty uh, play on a, on a second down on the first drive. The play right before James Cook rushed in for a touchdown to open up the game. And that is such a good sign because for Kincaid in terms of playing time and potential role within his first season on the roster. Because if you look at the rest of the names that only had a handful of snaps, that had their nights done after the first two series, it's a pretty locked-in group as to guys that will have significant roles in 2023. In addition to to Kincaid, that group that was done after the second series includes James Cook, locked in, starting running back. And I don't think there's much debate about that uh, based on what we've seen at camp. Dawson Knox, their top tight end. He's going to play a huge role this year and and he'll be their top in-line tight end. Past that, Gabe Davis, who's their starting X receiver and he had that role last year. Trent Sherfield, who was subbed in for Stefan Diggs at the Z receiver role, he, and we'll get to Sherfield in a little bit uh, as to how it relates to the receiver group, but he has done himself a lot of favors uh, to, to get shut down. He's probably the only one that doesn't have the, the role that I'm talking about that's that's locked in. Past, past uh, the receivers, the, the only other players that were taken out of the game completely after the first two series on offense, Deion Dawkins, Connor McGovern, Mitch Morse, Spencer Brown. All four of those offensive linemen are absolute starters for the 2023 season. So when Kincaid is in that type of company, that should tell you something. That should tell you that they are really comfortable with what they've seen from Kincaid, that they don't need to see him prove it in in the preseason, that they need to give him additional reps in the first preseason game that they gave to so many other of their younger players, like Osiris Torrance played into uh, throughout the entire first half. 
Dorian Williams played a ton of time. Justin Shorter played a ton of time. It almost feels like they already know what they have in Kincaid. They already know that he's going to be a pretty significant contributor to their offense. And maybe they just didn't want to put it all the way out there. Maybe they didn't want to risk injury with him because they're pretty sure they know what they have in him. So for me, even though he didn't make a catch, even though he didn't get targeted, the fact that he was out there, they utilized him the way that they did, and they got him the hell out of there, that to me means Dalton Dalton Kincaid is likely to have a, a pretty sizable role in the offense this year. And we'll see a little bit more of him as long as Josh Allen plays in that second preseason game, which I think if they had to choose, that second one is probably the one that that they would choose just because if anything does happen, it gives them more time before the start of the regular season. You know, there's it's it's a dangerous game with the preseason, but that's the way it goes. So I would expect him to be out there a bit more next week as long as Josh Allen plays, but We're talking checking boxes with Dalton Kincaid throughout training camp and everything he's shown. This is another one that it's really trending toward him having a a pretty significant role in, in, uh, in this year's offense. So even though the bills, they, they didn't get that type of role from their first round player last year in Kair Elam, it's looking pretty darn good for Dalton Kincaid right now. So that was my biggest takeaway from, from what we saw in, in the Bills-Colts game. Speaking of that cornerback room, found it to be interesting all the same, but a bit more nuanced as to how they utilize their three cornerbacks in the battle for that, that starting job. Dane Jackson started the game, as did Tredavious White. The only defensive players that did not play due to rest in this game, or defensive starters, I should say, Daquan Jones, the defensive tackle, Taron Johnson, the the nickel corner. They view them as core players. Taron Johnson is, for me, outside of Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs, probably the most irreplaceable piece on their team right now. I guess you could throw Deion Dawkins in there given their offensive tackle depth, but the drop-off from Taron Johnson to what they have after him at nickel corner, extreme. So, you know, I don't I don't blame them for giving him the night off. But the rest of the starters were in there, including Tredavious White. So Dane Jackson started the game, got the first series, picked off a pass. It was a gift from Anthony Richardson, but Completed the play nonetheless. And that was the last we saw of Dane Jackson. They treated him and the way they they took him out after that, after one series, that treated him like he was a starter. But I don't think it's that simple with the cornerback group, just because you need to see trends at camp practices heading into these preseason games to where it makes you go, oh, okay, that's that's a confirmation there that what we're seeing in practice has translated into the preseason games. I think the the cornerback situation and how them taking Dane Jackson out of the game so early 
needs more context, needs more nuance, because they know exactly what they have in Dane Jackson. They have seen him start 22 games throughout his entire Bills career. They have a pretty good idea here who Dane Jackson is, how he fits into their scheme. The scheme hasn't changed. They know where he's best, and they know how he struggles. But what they don't know is how Kair Elam and Christian Benford, who are both heading into their second season, how they maybe have improved or leveled off in a live game setting. So that's to me why I think when you see the snap counts from the cornerback group, Kair Elam came into the game for Dane Jackson in the second defensive series. Then just five plays into that second defensive series, they took Tredavious White out and put Christian Benford in. And then it was Elam and Benford for the rest of the first half. So Elam wound up, you know, by my count, had having 41 defensive snaps in that first half. Benford had 36. They didn't play a single snap in the second half. Their day was over. But I think it for, for the Bills, it was that to give them an opportunity for a longer look at both of these guys than that they just they haven't been able to see for the most part. I mean, think about Benford's last meaningful snaps. I mean, that was before his injury last season. And his injury came kind of like the, the week 10, week 11 mark. I'd have to go back and check to be sure, but it was around there. And Kair Elam, he was a half of the game player after Tredavious White came back and it didn't even begin that way. I mean, he was a healthy scratch sometimes and he he showed some things as the season went down, but they need to see the leap and they haven't been able to see one of these guys step forward. I om- it almost feels like that with how they they handled their usage in this game, they are trying to get one of Elam or Benford because these are investments for them. They are signed through the 2025 season. It kind of seems like they want one of these guys to compel them enough to win the job. Because Jackson's a free agent at the end of the year. They brought him back on a one-year deal. Probably as someone to be reliable depth. And in the worst case scenario, to be their starter. But neither of the young guys have taken the job and run with it just yet. And there was some up and down play from both Elam and Benford in this game. Elam got got called for defensive pass interference. Uh, caught himself in in a couple of, of weird angles in, in pursuit. So that's stuff he needs to clean up. Benford can have a, a catch over the top of him. And, and you know, sometimes he got beat on, on his coverage. So it wasn't consistent for either player. But they have 41 and 36 snaps more of information against the Colts' first and second offensive units to give them some some information to try and divvy out the snaps in in a way they see fit for the Steelers game and maybe even the the Bears game in week three of the preseason. But it still feels like this cornerback situation is wide open regardless of what we said. I don't think any player took a, a dramatic step forward 
I don't think any player took a dramatic step back. It could be that we're winding our way to another split time situation for the start of the regular season if if none of these guys step up. But, man, I you just have to think that the Bills want one of these two young guys to just step in. It, it doesn't even have to be Elam. I know it, the optics would make it look better, but... If they have Benford step in and he's a he's a you know consistent starter as a late round pick, you know at least they got one one of them right, and they can try and salvage with with Elam the best they can. Maybe they like trade him next year or something like that. That that this is worst case scenario for Kyir Elam, but they would love for one of these two guys to take hold of the job. But you know Dane Jackson keeps hanging around, and the longer he hangs around the more likely it is that that he's going to have some kind of role. So big old to be determined, but I, I did find it interesting that they're trying to get one of those those two second-year guys to give them a reason to, to be the guy moving forward. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I mentioned Trent Shurfield. So let's let's kick it over to wide receivers. And this will be the last long one I talk about just because... I think part of it has to plays into the Kincaid thing, but the wide receivers, it was pretty clear as day. There's a top six. And it would be somewhat surprising if they keep more than six, just based on the roster, how it sits. It's the odds on favorite number for them to keep it receiver barring injury. So Diggs, Davis, they're obvious. Then you've got Sherfield. Who's obvious? Who who was subbed out after after two series in this game? Deontay Hardy's going to be on the team. Khalil Shakir is going to be on the team, and Justin Shorter, the rookie, the fifth round pick, played I think seventeen snaps total. Double check, but his day was done. Yeah, seventeen snaps total. His day was done after the half or after the first half. The rest of the way, it was all Keyshawn Johnson, Andy Isabella, Tyrell Shavers, Marcel Aitman, Desmond Patman, and Brian Thompson. And all of those players are going to have a tough time making the team. So there's a clear top six. But the order of the, the top six is interesting. Davis, Diggs, obviously top two. No need to talk about that. Sherfield getting subbed out after the... The first two series, to me, shows 
I will I will say there is one caveat here, but right now it shows that he is the third receiver in that group. And when we're talking about Sherfield versus Shakir versus Hardy, it certainly seems like Sherfield has the leg up on these guys. The one reason that would make me hesitate in going all the way in that situation is that Diggs didn't play. So Sherfield lined up at the Z receiver position for Diggs. And so perhaps that shifted things. So what would happen if Diggs is on the field? Who winds up being in the slot? The last couple of practices we saw at St. John Fisher University, it was Sherfield working pretty consistently with that first unit and Shakir and Hardy kind of being down in the order. So that's what I would, that's where I kind of think that this is a good representation of, of their, where the receivers sit right now. But still, you can't go all the way just because there is the digs variable here. Once the Bills went into 11 personnel, it was Davis, Sherfield, and Deontay Hardy. And what made that interesting is that Hardy was in over Shakir. In the slot receiver role. Now, just because of the digs variable here and how it kind of changes some things up, you don't want to all the way go, okay, Hardy is fourth on the depth chart above Shakir right now. Because with digs not playing, that puts Sherfield as the starting Z receiver. And Shakir mostly played on the outside against the Colts as the backup Z receiver. In fact, I don't know that he got a slot snap. I would have to go back and, and really look. But he was it was mostly Hardy in the slot. And even when Hardy subbed out of the game, Andy Isabella took slot snaps with Khalil Shakir and Justin Shorter on the outside. So perhaps if Diggs is back, maybe that shifts Shakir into... The slot receiver role behind uh, behind Sherfield. I don't know where Deontay Hardy fits into that, but it's not a it's not a slam dunk. Like okay, this is the packing order right now. But I would say Shakir and Hardy are like WR four slash five, and it honestly didn't go great for Shakir. I mean, he had a couple of catches where he had to make some tough receptions based on some bad throws by. Kyle Allen or you know, ones that made him work harder than he needed to. And then he had a drop. And that's that's just been Shakir's camp. It's like he makes this one great play every once in a while, kind of fades into the background, and then he he pops up for a drop every once in a while. That's That's been the Khalil Shakir experience throughout the summer. And we kind of saw that in the game. So right now it's looking like Sherfield is the three and then to be determined with Shakir and Hardy, but Hardy getting the, the uh, snaps before Shakir was certainly interesting tonight. That said, I don't know how much the third receiver role matters. Well, it matters, but in terms of being a significant contributor, like I said before with Kincaid, I think this thing is trending towards Kincaid being that 
de facto third receiver, even though he's a tight end. Just like they kind of said it in training camp, or I'm sorry, right after the draft, how they feel like he could fit in there. The fact that Kincaid has just done everything he's needed to so far continues to make me believe that he is going to be a, a, a pretty solid contributor in his rookie season. A couple of quick hit positions of, of usage that I, that I found interesting. Defensive end, um, there were there was a clear top three today, not including Von Miller, because he obviously didn't play. That was Greg Rousseau, Leonard Floyd, AJ Epinesa. After that, it was Boogie Basham and Shaq Lawson, and I think that is a battle in itself. Lawson versus Basham. Because I don't know that you can necessarily keep five defensive ends when you have Von Miller on the way back. I suppose you could, but you also have five defensive tackles that you really like. And Tim Settle, playing as well as he as he has during training camp practices, and he certainly had a stand or certainly had some flashy plays against the Colts. It's putting him in a good position for making this roster and having five defensive tackles there. So are you really going to keep 10 defensive linemen? Like both Boogie Basham and Shaq Lawson do not contribute on special teams. Basham could in a pinch, but he doesn't have a, a vast history of it since he's come into the league. And Shaq Lawson, just a non-factor on special teams. Special teams means a ton, especially on that those bottom 53-man roster spots. So I think this, this could really come down to Lawson versus Basham. And the usage kind of dictated that with when they played and when their night was, was over. After the first half ended, the defensive end group consisted totally, well, not completely, but Boogie played a little bit into the second half. I'm sorry. No, it was in the second. I, I was reading my, my own chart incorrectly. The defensive end group consisted completely in the second half of Shane Ray, Kingsley, Jonathan, and Cameron Klein. Three guys that are not likely to make the team. So, Boogie and Shaq, I would keep my eyes on, on those guys for one of the final spots. Maybe it's facilitating a trade for Boogie Basham. Maybe it's keeping him. And keeping your fingers crossed that you can get Shaq Lawson onto the practice squad. That's the way that I'm leaning towards right now. Just because they have Boogie Basham under contract for another season. But hey, let's say they want to target a position of need. Boogie Basham could be a chip to get that thing done. And then you have Shaq Lawson just waiting there. And if you want to, you can cut Shaq Lawson once Von Miller's ready. And that's the way you go about it with that. And, and you're getting something back for one of your investments. Not ideal because Boogie Passion was a second round pick, of course, but it's cutting your losses while you can still get something in the return. So, but if everything is even and Boogie Basham is not going to be traded, I think they should keep him and do their best to try and get Shaq Lawson back to the practice squad. But still keep an eye on that battle between those two guys. And then on the offensive line, 
Uh, Osiris Torrance started ahead of Ryan Bates. You know, I don't want to get too far into breaking down his play because I need to get a better look at it, quite honestly. And, you know, only one viewing live while I'm taking snaps ain't it. So I'm going to go back. I'm going to watch Osiris Torrance's entire performance um, from his time with the first team offensive line and then his time with the second team offensive line at right guard and see how he helped himself in terms of pass blocking and, and all that. But he got the start which I think was kind of like a guilt-free thing for, for the Bills because he doesn't have to block for Josh Allen. They don't have to they don't have to worry about all that. And they get to see more reps from the rookie while getting reps to Ryan Bates as this the second team center. I would not be surprised if Ryan Bates is the starter next week against Pittsburgh, especially if Josh Allen's in the game. The other offensive line thing I, I found interesting, they gave reserve offensive tackle. Ryan Vandemark reps with the second team offensive line ahead of David Quesenberry at at left tackle. I think potentially that was a, hey, let's just see what this kid has because he's had a a couple of of nice days at, uh, at training camp. But I think they feel pretty good about, uh, even though fans don't feel good about him, feel good about David Quesenberry as probably their top reserve offensive tackle, at least the way it, it looks right now. Because when Deion Dawkins went down, it was David Quesenberry in with the first-team offensive line. He has consistently worked in during offensive install with, with the first-team guys during training camp. So this is, as of right now, I think Quesenberry is in. And they only gave him a handful of snaps. I think it was five total, if I had to guess right now. Let me just double check. Yeah. It was five total. One drive as the left tackle just before the end of the first half. So I think he's fine. I think I think he's in. I think they just wanted to see what they had in Vandemark. Vandemark, by the way, had 52 total snaps in that game. Had a bunch at left tackle. Had a bunch at right tackle. Was in there throughout the third team offensive line. Yeah, I, I, I'm guessing that that was just a way to get a, another look at him. But I think Vandemark struggled a little bit in that game. So I wouldn't get too over the top about it. I think Quesenberry is still pretty safe. All right. Individual performances after we got through the the utilizations and why those are important. And I I went through some other situations. You can find that over at The Athletic uh, in my in my observations from the game. But but those are some ones, some of them that that stood out that I wanted to expand on more than I could in the confines of an article. So some uh, individual performance. I thought James Cook looked great in the game. Check the box of of what we saw in camp so far. His role is going to be the starter. Um, Damian Harris wasn't available due to his knee injury, but I don't think it would have mattered. James Cook has been the clear-cut best guy there. Uh, He fits their offense the best. Don't exactly know how well Damian Harris fits their offense with its current structure, which just furthers the divide in my mind. I I think James Cook is in line for at least 55% of offensive snaps barring injury this season. I think he's 
I think they want to see if he can be that guy for them. So all things looking good for him. Ran well, got the touchdown. Looked good there. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The backup quarterback position. Now, not exactly an enthralling showing. (laughs) I know Matt Barkley put up nice stats, but man, the, the backup competition which Sean McDermott after the practice or after the game confirmed that it is in fact an open competition still to this point between Kyle Allen and Matt Barkley left a lot to be desired, especially Kyle, Kyle Allen against the first team Colts defense and the second team Colts defense. And I think maybe some third team time right at the beginning of, of the second half there. Allen was off. He had a couple of like, zingers that he put into a tight window and like just great throws. But it was what he did the rest of the time. It was just so inconsistent. And that is what we have seen from him at camp so far. High throws, throws behind receivers that they have to adjust to. The footwork being uneven, his throwing platform being uneven. Like this is the stuff that is going to get him into trouble. The interception that went through the hands of the undrafted rookie Tyrell Shavers, you know, should the should the rookie have caught it? Yeah, he should have. But it was also a high throw on a screen where Kyle Allen is double pump faking at an oncoming defender. The play looked dead. Probably should just dirt that thing. It was a it was a bad decision from him. And the throw ends up being high. Well, I, I, I think that that play is just as much on Kyle Allen as it is Tyrell Shavers. Maybe even more so on Allen because that was a, just a bad situation, especially if, if the play isn't there. So I thought Allen did not do enough to secure that job for himself. Barkley came in against the Colts third team defense, did his Matt Barkley preseason thing, man. He, the accuracy in those games always comes through. But my main holdup and overall hesitation with him, obviously that's how he is going to win. But he just does not have any zip on his passes at this point. It's all timing, all based on that. And if he's going up against better competition than third string guys who are on the bottom of the roster, might not even make practice squads. I think if the competition was better against against him, some of these throws that he was getting away with 
in that game to make him go 14 of 15 for all those yards would not go his way. So I still think, even though Barkley had the better night and I think put himself in a favorable favorable position, would not be surprised if he is the uh, the second quarterback, you know, depending on if Josh Allen plays. If Josh Allen plays, would not be surprised if Matt Barkley is the second quarterback to come on the field with what we saw. But the backup quarterback spot just still feels so unsettled to me. Maybe Barkley or Allen can do more over these final two preseason games. And I know there's an argument out there that says, all right, if Josh Allen goes down, who cares what the backup is? I know that I know that opinion is out there. But you know who cares? Brandon Bean does. And he has shown that he has cared about it for the last couple of years. And when the backup quarterback position wasn't good enough the one year, he set out to fix it in a significant way. Mitchell Trubisky, they signed him. He's a, you know, a former top draft pick. They believed in his talent enough to invest a little bit in him. They go out and they trade for Case Keenum, who has long been considered a really high-end backup. And now they're rolling with Kyle Allen or Matt Barkley, who's been on the practice squad last year. And Kyle Allen, who was not great in his last couple of spots. If I were, you know, if we're thinking about Brandon Bean feeling uneasy, he knows who his, his franchise quarterback is, Josh Allen, and he knows his playing style. And he knows that Josh Allen puts himself in position to allow defenders to get physical with him. Sometimes that has a an impact, whether it be, you know, needing to take a game or two off. And we haven't seen Allen have to miss time for a while now. But if he continues to play that type of football, luck's going to run out a little bit where maybe they do need to sit him a couple of weeks. And if they do have to do that, Bean would likely want to have someone that can keep them afloat. And it, and it wouldn't be the same offensive output by any means, but it would at least give them a chance to win. Because if you're putting Kyle Allen in the game, Let's say Kyle Allen has to start three games for Josh Allen, who's mending an injury in this hypothetical world. How many of those games are you expecting the Bills to win with Kyle Allen at the helm? Probably none. You know, depending on opponents. Maybe one, depending on opponents. Not good enough. Matt Barkley, I just don't, I don't see it. The zip isn't there. Plays the an opposite type of, of quarterback than than what how their offense is structured. And could they make it work? Sure. But without that arm strength that just that comes through in like the nicest of conditions, that's a really tough thing. And and the Bills have felt fine with replacing him again and again and again. 
They want to keep him on the practice squad because they think he's a great locker room guy, but wouldn't be a lot of confidence in him as, as their top backup. So if they don't see something great, well, maybe not great, but like competent over the, the next couple of weeks to where they feel comfortable with the backup position, I could see Bean getting aggressive and maybe trying to sign one who just was recently cut or trying to trade for one. And the one situation I would monitor just because you try to look around the league where there could be someone coming available, San Francisco to me is one to keep an eye on just because Brock Purdy seems like he's going to, he's going to be good enough to go here through his injury. You know, he had the off season surgery, whatnot, but Seems like he's going to be the starter this year for them. And behind him, they have Sam Darnold and Trey Lance. I think if they could get their hands on Sam Darnold as their primary backup this year, they would jump at the opportunity. So maybe that's a spot where, like, hey, here's Boogie Basham for Sam Darnold and something, or maybe just Sam Darnold. Because you're getting more function out of a more competent backup and in a talent that you really liked in the draft coming out in 2018 where you could see him going in there and holding up, keeping the thing afloat. That's one I I would keep an eye on. Not... Not saying I know that they're looking into it or anything like that, but you just analyze who could be available in the league, who the Bills have shown that they've been interested in in the past, and that one kind of lines up between the two here. So Barkley and Allen still have a chance at this thing, but I think I think they're going to need to see a little more from the from the position. The other competition that didn't really have a second competitor in this game was middle linebacker Tyrell Dotson was the starting middle linebacker. Terrell Bernard, hamstring injury after the game. Sean McDermott uh, didn't say how long that Bernard would be out, but said that usually hamstrings take a little bit of time to recover from. And I think that's the way things are probably leaning with, with Terrell Bernard, so... You look at hamstrings in general, two to three weeks, usually. I know the rule of thumb in in soccer is hamstring, automatic three weeks. We've seen in Buffalo sometimes guys come come back a little bit quicker from hamstrings, but usually they they, uh, err on the side of caution with with that soft tissue stuff. And now it's just a matter of uh, him getting back into the swing of things. But it could be too little too late by that point. There's only two preseason games to go. He suffered it the Thursday before the first preseason game. If it ends up being a three-week injury, that knocks him out the complete preseason. And you're probably looking at Tyrell Dodson as your starting middle linebacker this year. So, barring injury, of course. But it's looking good for Dodson right now. But it's uh, to be determined to see how long Bernard is actually out. Dotson is just getting a lot of time right now. And the longer he gets in there, the more likely it is to stick 
at least for the start of the regular season, just for continuity's sake. Will he hold on to it during the regular season? That's a that's a big ol' we'll see. Because he has some issues in coverage I think that teams can exploit. But really good run defender. And I think that's that's a good baseline for them. And Sean McDermott even said that he had liked what, what Bernard had done throughout camp. But it might not matter if, if this injury knocks him out for, for quite some time. Or at least for the next two, three weeks. All right. So we learned a lot from that first preseason game. At least I did. And hopefully, you know, analyzing the snaps the way that I do can can help us learn things about this roster. And what this whole thing might look like. Second preseason game, we'll get a lot more into individual performance. Because I think now that we have the base of what could be, now it's time to to build off that and to figure out, okay, how do these individual performances help impact what what this whole thing will look like when the Bills get to take on the Jets in week one. So that'll do it for me. Um, The Bills 1-0 in the 2023 preseason, beating the Colts 23-19, and have a date with the Pittsburgh Steelers one week from tonight on August 19th, which uh, should be should be fun. I would my guess is Josh Allen plays in that one. My guess is Stefan Diggs plays a little bit in that one and they ramp themselves up a little bit more. But we shall see. So, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Will we be we will be back at some point after the Steelers game. I don't know if it's going to be the night of or maybe the day after, a couple days after, just to kind of get our get our ducks in a row as to what what that looked like and and figure out how this Bills team is going to go into the 2023 season. So my name is Joe Pascalia. Thanks everyone for listening and we will talk to you next week. See you then. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.